uh, just to reiterate what Daniel Coons was announcing about the positive link. Um, for those of you who don't know, positive, like Dan said, positive link. It's not a Christian organization, but it's an organization that services people in, I think, like a four or five county area that have HIV AIDS. And we've um, partnered with them for a number of years on things. And what's interesting is um, one of the ladies that works there has said about Exodus, and this is not necessarily about us, but she said, I don't go to church, but if I went, I'd want to go to a church like yours. Because th- they find it intriguing that a church would uh, help them out in supporting and volunteering and things like that. So, um, like, I, there is, like, there's a whole list of, if you want information about what volunteer opportunities there are, there's, uh, one of them that he didn't mention, they need somebody to volunteer, the, the, the uh, man, the Healthy Eats trailer, which actually sounds quite boring to me, because Healthy Eats doesn't sound like it's very tasty. But they need somebody to do that from 4 to 7.30. So they have all kinds of opportunities on Wednesday night or fr- Friday night to volunteer. And uh, so if you have t- talk to Daniel, talk to me, and we'll get you in touch with the right people. So um, let's pray, and then we'll look into God's Word this morning. Uh, Jesus, we believe, we believe in your Holy Spirit. And we believe that the invisible world is real. And we believe that even though we exist this moment and we can see and feel and hear the physical world, we have a hard wooden floor beneath our feet, we're sitting on plastic chairs, we're breathing in oxygen, and it's probably about 65 degrees in this room. We feel all that, but we don't always feel or see you, even though we believe you're here. So you're here among us, your spirit is here among us, your spirit talks, your spirit shows us things. So would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying to us, God, so we can be the kind of people you said you've designed us to be, and that is full of the life and the love and the power that comes from you alone. We want to be the kind of people not only who are changed by you, but then become a conduit for your Holy Spirit to bring change and goodness and love and mercy and peace to those around us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, how, many, how many of you know what a trust fall is? Trust fall? All right. Uh, Alan, stand up for a second. I'm not gonna, you're not, you're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. For those of you who don't know, trust fall is simply with Allison turned, uh, Alan. Alan turned around and I said, Allison, fall, I'm going to catch him. We're not going to do it because I don't know if I'd catch him. All right. Anyway, watch this video. This, I, saw, I found one on the internet earlier this week and it's, it's got like two million hits. So I'm assuming, hold on, let me back it up a little bit. Yeah, now turn up the volume and let's listen.
like I said, that one had like, it was like 2 million hits. I'm assuming it was legitimate. But uh, here's the question. Here's the question of the morning. What in the world does trust falling have to do with Easter? What in the world does trust falling have to do with Easter? What, is, what does trust have to do with Easter? Because you, you watch this the, the video, and it's, it's funny, and the guy's kind of, of course, somebody, I heard somebody say, he's not giving those people enough time, which is true. Um, but the whole idea of, of, oh, no, wait a minute. My, sometimes this thing doesn't sit on my ear very well, so there we go. Is it good? If I take my glasses off, it helps. Hold on. I don't know if I have a deformed ear or what, but sometimes these things just don't sit on me very well. So there we go. No, but the, ho- the whole idea of, of uh, trust. And of course, it's funny in this video because you're supposed to turn around and, you know, fall back and somebody's supposed to catch you. And of course, in this video, he's not giving people time. So of course, there are people he, doesn't, he shouldn't trust because they don't even know what they're getting into. But my guess is some of you, like me, have probably had situations where you or encouraged to, or whatever, you trust, took a trust fall, and you thought you were trust falling, and the guy was going to catch you, but somehow it didn't feel that way. And you're trying to figure out, understandably so, what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to trust Jesus? How do I do that? What do I do with the anxieties and fears all involved in that? Because that's really one of the statements we say at Exodus, one of the, the, our opening doctrinal statement, the opening line is, we trust Jesus. Because we believe Christianity is not an affirmation of a set of doctrinal beliefs, even though we believe those are true. We believe Christianity is first and foremost a, first and foremost, a relational commitment to trust. Because you're trusting something you can't see. You're trusting something that you may not have experienced before, but you're trusting Jesus. That's what we say. We trust Jesus. So if that's the, if that's the whole essence of what it means to follow Jesus... How does Easter make a difference in that? What's going on there? So let me, uh, today is Easter, and we're going to talk, what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is I've done a series uh, that I've called Face-to-Face with Jesus. And the last few weeks, uh, Face-to-Face with Jesus was about conversations we've had with Jesus, or people have with Jesus in the Bible, or times where people are face-to-face with Jesus, because I think that gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is. But in the last few weeks, we've been talking about conversations with Jesus, where people cry out to Jesus. Or there's crying out involved. And if you remember, I've talked about the word cry out, the, the word in the original Greek, which I don't often use, but it's, it's krodzo. And it's one of those words, it's an onomatopoeia. It's the word that sounds like the sound, like krodzo. You know, it's kind of like crying out. And it's the kind of crying out, it's the kind of uh, verbalization and shouting that often, and in that day and age, it was considered inappropriate by the Romans and the Greeks to to yell that way, especially in religious settings. So we talked a few weeks ago about blind men crying out to Jesus, or a woman or a man who had their son had some demonic issues, crying out to Jesus for help. And we talked about what does it mean for us to cry out to Jesus. But today we're going to look at a situation, which is related to Easter, is when Jesus cried out in the same kind of spirit of kind of energy and Kind of that same kind of spirit of, of release. All right? So we're going to look at Matthew, or, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Go to the next slide there. Um, and this is where Jesus cries out to God. You know what? I'm going to switch and use the handheld mic because.
just kind of does this anyway. So uh, Luke 23, and this is a situation where Jesus Christ, God, this is, a, this is Easter Sunday, so I'm going to look initially at a passage on the cross, Jesus' death. And again, the question we're trying to figure out is, what in the world does Easter have to do with my life? Because if you're like me, you know Easter is a big deal. Theologically, Jesus rose from the dead. That's a big deal. But also, if you're like me, sometimes you think, okay, I think I'm supposed to probably feel something different about Easter and about Easter Sunday, maybe more victorious, more hopeful. But the reality is you don't feel that way sometimes. But you think you should, and you don't know. It's, it's like the other night we were, we were at a restaurant the other night, and um, this one table next to us was obviously having a big party of some kind. So there were three kinds of people there at the table, we noticed. There were some that were uh, genuinely enjoying the party. There, was other, there were others who had drank too much, and so the enjoyment of the party was a little bit fake. And then there was one guy that my wife and kids got a real good laugh out of. It was clear he did not want to be there. He was sitting there the whole time like this, and everybody was laughing. And, and I'm saying that because I wonder sometimes whether it comes to Christmas or Easter or other kinds of religious kind of holidays where you think you're supposed to feel something that you don't feel, and you may have that sense of, I just, I'm not feeling the victory of Jesus right now. And you may have that experience today on a Sunday like Easter. I mean, you're used to, a lot of us are used to going to church on Easter where there's all kinds of pomp and circumstance and rows and rows of Easter lilies, and that's not bad. But often in that kind of large environment, your spirit doesn't feel as large as the environment says you should feel, and you kind of wonder, what's wrong with me? And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, nothing's wrong with you. Because sometimes what we have to figure out is, what does Easter mean? And it may not, you may not feel that way on that day, but ultimately it has to undergird what, you all, what we all think about what it means to follow Jesus. So let's start with Jesus on the cross, and I'm going to read from Luke 23. And if, you're, if you remember, there were a number of things Jesus said on the cross, just one-liners and different phrases. And this is uh, one particular uh, statement that he made. So um, he'd already been nailed to the cross, uh, tortured, um, other things had happened. But this is, uh, on that day, it's verse 20, uh, verse 44 of Luke 23. By this time, it was noon. And darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. So for three hours it was dark. For three hours there was a sense that um, even the earth itself, the universe itself, was mourning. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And that curtain was the curtain in the temple that separated the average person from being able to connect with the Holy of Holies, which is where the, it was the presence of God actually existed. So the symbolism of that is that curtain is now gone. Every one of us has a direct access to God. We don't need to go through a mediator of a priest anymore. We go direct to God. All right. Then Jesus shouted. Go to the next line, the slide here, because this is the phrase. Then Jesus shouted, but the word of the same house is the same word as cried out. He cried out. Then Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And then the Bible says, and then he died. So he's crying out. So now we're face to face with Jesus, but he's the one crying out, not us. And he's crying out, and he's crying out to his father 
into your hands I entrust my spirit. And the, and the, and the imagery there of entrusting is that you actually give, your, give over. It's almost like if I were to have my wallet and I were to say, I'm going to entrust my wallet to you. I'm handing it over to you. And I'm trusting you with that part of me. So Jesus is saying to his father, I'm entrusting myself with you. And again, remember, we're talking about trusting today. And what does that look like? So Jesus says, I'm entrusting myself with you, Father. And the Bible says, and he died. So stop for a second here, and I'll ask you, what is it, what right now is difficult for you to trust God with? I mean, if you were to fill in the blank, into your hands I entrust my finances, into your hand, God, I trust my relationships, into your hand, Father, I entrust my future. Into your hand, Father, I entrust my confusion, my frustration, whatever. And what's interesting with this, we know that Jesus knew, because he had told the disciples he was going to rise again in three days. But we also can pretty much understand that, you know, even though he was God, became man, Death was a new experience for him. He hadn't died before. So when he entrusted his spirit to the Father, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like this calm kind of sedated thing. He knew he was going into an unknown of death, but yet he still trusted his Father enough. Even though moments before on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's... he's he, he, all kinds of things stirring inside him. He feels forsaken by God, although he knew he wasn't. He had been separated to God because he, had, he was bearing our sins on his shoulders. But yet now, he's saying, no, but, I, but I do trust you. So in the midst of confusion, Jesus trusts his Father. In the midst of unknown, he trusts his Father. In the midst of sadness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of, being, of suffering, he trusts his Father. And he, and he calls out, I entrust my spirit to you. And you may remember, even in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, when he prayed, and he says, Abba, Father, please take this cup from me. And he's, he had a very intimate relationship with the Father. Abba, in that sense, is like we, us saying Daddy. So Jesus had this very intimate trust relationship with the Father. So in this statement, he says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Now, so what does that look like? How do, you, how do we become those kind of people? I mean, I, th- I think of uh, my kids are all older now and they can all swim. But when they were younger and couldn't swim, the imagery I have often was me standing in the water and saying to Gretchen, Mark, Allison, or David, jump, Daddy will catch you. They have their water wings on. Everything, everything around them should have said, you're safe here, but sometimes they wouldn't jump because it's all about trust. It's all about trust. Even though I'm standing there with my arms open to them, they may have seen me catch them before. They still aren't sure if they can jump. So we talk about this. So Jesus said, I entrust your hands into my, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Okay, then he dies. And then you're reading the right later in Luke and the other Gospels. He dies. Mary, Peter, others go to the tomb. They find out he's resurrected. 
And then at the end of Luke, one of the things he says that's interesting to them, and this is, relates to this, so I don't want to... He says to them, before he ascends, he says, now, I want you to wait because I'm going to send my spirit to you, and he will live in you. So the spirit of Jesus that could trust his, his own spirit to his father was the same spirit he said he was going to give to us. He was going to give us the spirit, his spirit, that would have an unafraid, reckless, abandoned trust of whatever the Father wanted him to do. And that's the spirit he said he gave to us. Because of Easter, because of his death and resurrection, and this new and living way he opens up, that spirit is now inside of us. See, because in the Old Testament and under the law, the spirit was around and often given on to people at certain times, but the promise of the new that would only happen with the resurrection of Jesus and his breaking the hold of sin was that the spirit of Jesus could live inside of each one of us. And that's one of those things, again, that might sound kind of odd to people when you think about it. If you don't know anything about Christianity and I were to say to somebody, uh, yeah, I believe the spirit of a God lives inside of me. It does sound odd. But we do believe in the invisible world, and we believe when Jesus said that, that whatever changed upon his death and resurrection, something changed in the invisible world of the entire universe, where now we have access to the spirit of Jesus inside of us. And so I can now say with hope and with expectation and with victory, I I know I can be the kind of person who can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my money, my future, my relationships, my fears, my anxieties. Into your, into your hands I commit those things, and I'm going to trust that. We can say that. Reality is it's still hard for us to get there. Now, what's interesting, uh, go to the next slide. In Romans, um, go to the next, yeah, that one right there. This is a le- Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. So people like you and me just 2,000 years before in a different part of the world, but no different than you and I are. And he talks about the, the kind of spirit we have received because of the death of Christ. If you read the early part of Romans and the early part of Romans 8, it says we now have a, the spirit of God given to us, the spirit of freedom given to us. And then he, he finishes in this part of the statement in Romans 8 by saying this, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, Slaves, I'm not afraid. Think of trustful. I'm not afraid to throw myself into the hands of God. You don't have that spirit anymore. Instead, you received God's spirit when He adopted you to His own children, by which we cry out. Same word, cry out, cry out, cry out. Abba, Father. So He's saying the same spirit that Jesus had when He cried out in trust to the Father, "Into Your hands I entrust My spirit." That same spirit we now have. And we have that same relationship with our trusting Abba Father. Abba was like the Aramaic. It's Aramaic, but it's like we say daddy. So if you're born in America, your first, when you're trying to say daddy, it was da, 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 daddy. In Aramaic, babies grew up, and it was Abba, 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 Abba. All right, same kind of, because it's an easy thing to pronounce, Abba. And put aside, to whatever degree you need to, any insufficiencies your own earthly daddy had. And we all do. I'm a daddy, and I have insufficiencies. Put aside all of those. 
and understand the kind of relationship God wants with each one of us through the Spirit of Jesus. That he wants us to have a spirit that can cry out in trust to the Father. Abba, Father, I trust you. In a settled way, in a way that settles your soul, that settles your spirit, that settles anxiety, that settles fear. If you think about it, the opposite of a trusting soul, what we're told here is fear and anxiety. Because we're not quite sure if God is going to pull through for us. We're not quite sure if we jump in, if we're sensing what we believe the Spirit of God is telling us to do in our life next. Maybe you've got a financial decision, a relational decision. Maybe you need to let go of a habit, a sinful habit that you're engaged in because you think that gives you life, but you know God wants you to step away. And your fear is, but if I step away from this, how do I know that I'm going to get caught in the water? How do I know God's going to catch me? (laughs) I saw something once where they were doing a trust fall. Alan, stand up for a second again. I'm not, I'm, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna bruise Alan. Turn around. I mean, and they, and they said, they said, here's, okay, do you trust me? And let's say Alan would say, yeah, I trust you, Matt. Now I say, Alan, Alan, do you trust me? Now fall forward. And, and they were saying, that's what God does to us. Don't do it. Don't fall forward. But they, said, they, said, they were saying, that's what God does to us. We fall back and we've learned to trust God to catch us in certain ways. And then all of a sudden God changes the game. And says, now fall forward. And you're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't see. You're behind me. I know, but fall forward. That kind of faith is scary, ridden with anxiety, and on an onlooking world, stupid. But you think about people throughout history, whether it's the guy who started the Salvation Army or Mother Teresa or all these great names you list or even just ordinary people like you and me. They did great things because of the Spirit of God in them, because they had the ability to trust, to take a step, even though there was not a known, predictable person right in front of them to catch them. And it seems like you read about the men and women throughout the Bible who had great, who were in kind of the Hall of Fame. They weren't born into the Hall of Fame of faith. They were given that status because they were willing to trust the unknown. And they were willing to trust, relationally, trust God as their daddy, as their Abba Father, their trustworthy Father. That no matter what happens, I can trust myself in his hands. And although we know that's true, you would say that's true, I would say that's true. The reality is when it comes to, when I deal with my own money, when I deal with my future, when I deal with my relationships, the truth of my trust can be told in how I handle those things. If you want to know whether somebody trusts God, watch them. You can watch, if you watch my life for two weeks, how I handle my money, how I handle relationships, how I handle conflict, how I handle future anxieties, whatever else, you will tell. You could tell my trust by how I respond. So even though I say, no, I trust God, the proof is in my day-to-day activities. And if you were to examine your own day-to-day activities as you think about those aspects of life, if you're honest, my guess is you would say, I don't know that I have the honest cry out of a father kind of trust that I really want to have. I don't know that I can trust God completely because just in case I need to have a plan B, just in case I want one of those nets under the trapeze, because what if I let go of my trapeze and God isn't there to hold on? I want to make sure there's something down below me. We are very good. I'm very good at maintaining safety nets. 
which don't force me to trust Jesus. I remember, and I've, I think I've told this story, but I haven't recently. Oh, 15 years ago, um, I remember laying awake in bed one night. And I wasn't like anxious or anything, but I was just kind of thinking about following Jesus and what it looked like. And I remember thinking out loud to Jesus, if that, you know what I'm saying. I'm just kind of thinking. And, and I thought, okay, I do trust you, but I don't really have to. I mean, I have a house. I have cars that work. I have health insurance. I have life insurance. So I don't really have to trust you because I have what I need. I have a wife. I have kids. Everybody's healthy. And I remember thinking, praying, whatever, to God. I want to I grow in my trust to you. So whatever you need to do, stretch me. Because my life is so comfortable right now. I want to have a spirit of trusting you. And it was out of that prayer that God answered that then, you know, within a couple years later, I was, God had challenged me to start this church, which at that time didn't have a name, but it was a step into the unknown. And so maybe that's where you are. Maybe you want to trust God more, but you got to think, well, I've kind of got everything kind of lined up and I need to trust God for a few things here and there and there. But for the most part, I've got my life all figured out. And then you don't, and then in essence, what you're saying is you don't have the kind of trust that you know you want to have. So not only in Romans, say, go to the next slide. Because in Galatians, the same thing. And we're talking about kind of this crying out to God and having the kind of unabated, unrestricted trust. And this is, again, Paul's writing to the Christians in the Galatia. So he's writing to ordinary people just like you and me. And if you read the earlier part of the, the book of the, the letter, he's talking about the reality that we now have because of the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so they could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has spent the spirit of his son into our hearts as a result of the resurrection. Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you my spirit now. Into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, same word, cry out, krodzo, have this reckless abandoned kind of attitude of Abba Father, which that statement alone is a statement of trust. I don't know your stories. Go to the next slide. I don't know your stories. I know my story right now, and I know the areas where I need to be trusting God. I know the areas where I want to have the resurrected spirit of Jesus in me that can trust the Father, that when I jump in, that I'm not going to drown. Now, what's interesting, let me just, I was reading, this a, this is one of my favorite books. It's called Ruthless Trust. And he says in here, one of the authors says, which was interesting, but it's true. He says, trusting God does not mean that he will always intervene in the way that you want. Which kind of puts a whole other picture on trust. Because we tend to think, well, if I trust God and I jump in the water, he may not be there right away, but he's going to send a rescue ship pretty quickly. But he said, you read the stories of men and women in the Bible, and even if you just took the picture of Jesus on the cross, he trusted his spirit with the Father, but he still died. He didn't intervene in the way that we think he should intervene. And maybe that's your challenge of trust, is that you're trusting God 
yeah, I trust God to intervene in my finances, in my future, in my relationships, in my marriage, and this or whatever. But you have in your mind that that means he has to intervene in a certain kind of way. And you and I need to drop that kind of expectation. Not the expectation that he will preserve us, he'll preserve our souls, the expectation that he has to do it in the way that we've kind of scripted for him to do. Okay, God, it's about time for you to show up. Can I write you into the play? Because what trust is, I trust God. I trust his timing. I trust my health with him. I trust my financial stability with him. I trust my family with him, my wife with him, my kids with him. Without restriction, without dictation of how he's supposed to intervene if something's going wrong. That kind of trust is the kind of trust I'm thinking all of you want to have, but we're, we all feel far from that. But it's the, it's the kind of spirit that Jesus had. So here's my challenge out of this for Easter, because we want to be victorious people, we want to be hopeful people. We start off the service by, say, by reading the passage, now we live with great expectation. And last week, like I said, the prayer of the week was simply, Hosanna, Lord, save us. It was a crying out to God. This week, maybe your prayer is simply, Abba, Father, I I, want to trust you. I want to cry out to you and trust. I don't know what's happening next in my life. I don't know what's happening with this situation or that situation or this. But I am going to trust you. And if you tell me to go this way, I'll go that way. If you tell me to go that way, I'll go that way. And I'm going to trust you what you tell me to do, God. I will trust your way. And that's a place where I think we all want to be. Because that's where, that's where victory and hope and expectation and peace and joy are found. They're not found in knowing exactly how it's going to end. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that every single one of us will have that spirit of Jesus that can cry out to the Father and say, into your hands I trust my, you fill in the blank. What do you need to trust God with right now? What is that? Let's pray. I'm just going to ask you just right now in in a moment of quiet here in a second, I'm going to ask you to fill in that blank in your own mind and heart that right now, if you were to cry out to God in kind of an abandoned kind of way, honest kind of way, and it was simply, Abba Father, into your hands I entrust my blank. Is it a financial situation? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's somebody in your life that's far from God that you want to trust with God. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's a source of whatever anxieties you're having. But what would you fill in that blank that you're going to say you entrust with God?
Jesus, we believe you when you say that you give us your spirit. We don't exactly understand what that means or what it looks like or how that all transpires, but we believe what you say, that you give us your spirit inside of us. And it was from that spirit that you were able to trust your Father absolutely, completely, without fear or anxiety. God, that's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be people who follow you uh, with a ruthless kind of trust. We want to be people who follow you with an abandoned kind of trust. Not, not a stupid trust, not a silly trust, not an ignorant trust, but a trust that's grounded in the reality that even when the world looked darkest and was darkest when Jesus was on the cross, there was a resurrection, there was transformation of death to life, and death is no longer the enemy. So God, give us that kind of extraordinary courage and trust in you. And I pray um, for all of all of us this morning that we would trust you, that even this week we might place before you what we need to entrust you with and then allow you to do work in our hearts to give us larger and larger capacities to trust you as our ever-loving daddy and reliable daddy, trustworthy daddy, the one who will never let our souls face destruction. And we uh, love you, and God, we're grateful for what you do in our lives, and we're grateful most of all for the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen. We finish every Sunday with communion. And uh, Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, actually, he told his disciples when he served this, and this was kind of, he was serving them the Passover meal, but it took on a whole new meaning because of what ended up happening. But he said, this is my body, this is my blood given and shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, what he's saying to remember is remember what I came to do for you. Remember what the kind of person you can be when you have my life inside of you. Remember those things. Remember the kind of trust I had for my father. Remember, remember that my spirit is in you now. So when you take this bread, and here's how we did it at Exodus. There'll be people at the aisles each of the three aisles, and they'll offer you bread, and we just tear off the bread yourself. You tear it off. We'll offer you the cup, and just for the sake of how we do it, dip it into the cup. We don't drink out of the cup. No big reason. It's just dipping it in the cup. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seat. It's up to you. But when you take that into your body to make sure it's not simply just some meaningless ritual, maybe when you take in the representation of Jesus into your body your prayer is uh, into your hands I commit my spirit I trust you Jesus I trust you because you trusted the Father I trust you, I trust you Jesus and I want to grow in that trust so I want more of that in me is the prayer um, if you're new to Exodus um, anybody can take um, communion, we don't, just, we don't figure out who's in or who's out and we don't dismiss by rows either, we just come on up during the singing Uh, The only thing I say is if you're in some way knowingly and intentionally resisting the spirit of Jesus in some area of your life, it's good for you not to take for your own well-being. And again, we don't track who's up and down. We don't corner you afterward, but I'm just saying that for your own well-being.
everyone else, though, um, you're welcome at the table. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you opened a new and living way. And then we don't live under the law, which means we don't live under guilt. We don't live under obligation to behave well. We live under the spirit of life that comes from you. So, Jesus, we're grateful that because of you, we now have your spirit inside of us. And we want that to grow and occupy every single space of our beings. And even as we take this into our bodies, would you take that as a prayer from each of us that we want you to expand what you do inside of us and help us to trust you more. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.